Okay, so Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. This is what God's word says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Father, we uh, thank you for the book of Proverbs. We thank you for the wisdom uh, that you have placed within your word, and especially in this book, for us. Lord, we ask that you would inform our thoughts, that you would transform our hearts, and that you would transform our lives uh, through the wisdom of your word. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, every coach sports coach or every um, music teacher will tell you that there are some basic fundamentals of learning a sport, basic fundamentals of learning an instrument that need to be mastered in order to play that instrument well. And one of the things that you actually see a lot of times is the athletes and the musicians that are really, really good at what they do, they are the ones who have mastered the fundamentals of the, the instrument, the fundamentals of the, the sport. And these type of individuals, the ones that are truly excellent at whatever uh, sport they're playing or whatever instrument they're playing, they have practiced the basics so much so that the basics have really become second nature to these, these kinds of individuals. I recently heard a, a story uh, of, a, of a professional golfer who every year at the beginning of golf season or right before golf season starts, he will fly home to his hometown and he will meet with his high school golf coach, the guy who taught him how to play golf. And after exchanging pleasantries and catching up on life, he'll say, okay, Mr. Smith, teach me to play golf. And so this guy who's a pro literally every year will go back and see his coach and will say, okay, take me through the fundamentals. Teach me the basics. And in a similar way, what we're doing in, uh, in this section and what we are discovering in the book of Proverbs is, is really the, the basics of wisdom, the fundamentals of wisdom. Essentially, what we are doing is we are going to, as we study the book of Proverbs, we're going to come to the book of Proverbs like that professional golfer, and we are going to say, okay, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be wise. We're coming to the book of Proverbs with this, with this mindset of teach me how to be wise. 
And what's interesting about the book of Proverbs is it's, it's written by a guy named Solomon, who was a king of Israel, who was uh, the wisest person who ever lived other than Jesus Christ, or so, you know, uh, so they say. Um, and so when we're reading the book of Proverbs, one of the things, one of the ways that we need to think about it, and just providing some context for you here, is we need to think about it as a conversation from a father to a son. Because that's, that's what the book of Proverbs is. It's a father to a son trying to impart wisdom, trying to say, son, this is what life is. Or for you ladies in the room, you can just as easily think of it in this way, from a mother to a daughter, this is how life works. This is the way to live wisely. And we all need wisdom. We all need wisdom because the reality of life is that it is filled with choices. The choice of who you should date, the choice of who you should marry, the choice of you know, how you should spend your free time, the choice of what career you should pursue, the choice of what school you should pursue, the choice of what, uh, for some of you who are doing Running Start, choices like what college classes should I take or should I drop classes. Um, the, we, we need wisdom in all of these things. You see, life is filled to the brim with choice after choice after choice after choice. And there's really two options. Either we make a wise decision or we make a foolish decision. There's not really, there's not really any middle ground. Either you made a wise decision or we make foolish decisions. And in God's kindness, he has given us his word and Proverbs in particular to help us make wise decisions. And so we need to, through, so we're actually going to be studying the book of Proverbs all the way, probably all the way until summer. Um, we'll see, we'll see how, how long it goes. Um, I have it slated till April, but knowing me, usually there's like a three to four week, uh, you know, kind of period where it's like, oh, this is going to be three weeks longer or four weeks longer. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but I have it slated till April at least. So we're going to be studying the book of Proverbs. And so this is a question that I want you to be coming to the book of Proverbs and, and asking the Lord, um, Lord, how can I make wise choices? And then coming to his word in the book of Proverbs and asking him to show you the wisdom that is contained in this book. Now, a word real quick about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs contains wisdom principles, but it does not contain promises. Okay? The book of Proverbs contains wisdom principles, but it does not contain promises. Let me, and that's important. That's an important distinction to make because um, I'll give you an example. In the book of Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now, what, how the book of Proverbs operates is that is true, generally speaking. But we don't live in a world that operates exactly as God originally designed, okay? We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that is filled with sinfulness. And so the book of Proverbs really teaches us general wisdom principles, teaches us how, uh, how to live 
um, generally speaking. And so I wanted us to keep that in mind as we are reading through this book. But the other thing that we should keep in mind um, is that verse 7 of chapter 1 really is kind of a key verse that comes up again and again throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, And so look at verse 7 for just a minute. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so that should be a key verse that we should be thinking about, well, for our entire lives. But especially as we're going through this book, I want, that, I want you guys to keep that in the, in the front of your brains. Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of biblical wisdom. And so our main theme for what, what we are, uh, for our purposes here tonight is this, is that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of biblical wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of biblical wisdom. And so if that is the case, then for tonight, we're going to ask this question. What does biblical wisdom look like when it's just uh, lived out? What does it look like uh, to put uh, flesh and bones and, and skin on biblical wisdom? What does, it, what does it look like when it's lived out in the life of an individual? And in this, uh, in this passage, we're actually going to see there's three components to biblical wisdom, okay? There's three components to biblical wisdom. The first is this, is that biblical wisdom has an intellectual component, okay? Biblical wisdom has an intellectual component. The second is that biblical wisdom has a moral component, Okay? Biblical wisdom has a moral component. And the third is that biblical wisdom has a spiritual component. So biblical wisdom has an intellectual, moral, and spiritual components. But the third of those three is actually foundational to the previous two. So we're actually going to start out of order. We're going to start with number three, then we're going to go back to one and two. Okay? So we're actually starting with verse 7 here, which says, uh, so this is our first, the first um, point, is that biblical wisdom has a spiritual component. Uh, the fear of the Lord, or if you want to translate it literally, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what Solomon does here, as he's having this conversation with his son, you can imagine him sitting, sitting him down and he says, son, okay, this is, this is important. This is how to live a wise life. And the first thing, one of the first things that he tells them is he says that in order to possess biblical wisdom, you must have a right fear of the Lord. In order to have biblical wisdom, you must have a right fear of the Lord. In other words, the fear of the Lord, as we're thinking about this, uh, the person who is truly wise, the person who uh, has, possesses the fear of the Lord, who fears God, is someone who has a right perspective about God and who he is and someone who has a relationship with God. So someone who has a right perspective about God and is also someone who is in a right relationship with God. 
So you might be asking yourself right now, okay, uh, I'm on board with that, I think, but where do you see relationship? Well, relationship is actually found in the word Lord there. In your Bibles, all of those letters are going to be capitalized, L-O-R-D, unless you have maybe one of the, the newer translations where it actually translates the word as Yahweh. Now, the reason that that name is significant is because that is God's covenant name. And the only way that you discover God's covenant name is if you are in a covenant with God. This is the name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. If you remember the story, um, God uh, speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, and Moses is like, whoa, there's a bush that's on fire over there, but it's not being consumed. I'm going to go check it out. And he goes over, and he has this conversation with God, God speaking through this burning bush, okay? And God says to him, okay, you're the guy. I'm sending you in. You are going to go and lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses is, he's scared. And so he asks this question. He says, who should I say sent me? And God says to him, tell the people that I am has sent you. Tell the people that I am who I am. Tell the people that Yahweh has sent you. And so this name, Yahweh, is one that is revealed in the context of relationship. Questions later, okay? Uh, Yeah, yeah, we'll do it after. Um, So this name is one that is revealed in the context of relationship. It would be kind of like there's certain names that I will call Lindsay by that I won't call any of you unless I'm joking with you. Um, and usually it's just the boys. Um, but I'll say, I'll say something like, uh, you know, I'll call Lindsay babe, or I'll call her, she really likes it when I call her my beloved, okay? So these are personal names that you don't just say to every stranger on the street, right? And Well, apparently Luke does. He just walks up and he's like, <laughs> my beloved. <laughs> um, and so the, uh, Yahweh is a little bit like that in the sense that it's a name that is discovered in the context of a relationship with God. And so we see that part of the fear of the Lord uh, is having a right relationship with God. But not only that, there's this other word, fear. There's this other word, fear, there, the fear of the Lord. And this is kind of a, a complicated uh, word to describe Uh, The fear of the Lord is a complicated uh, topic in general. You could actually do an entire sermon series on the different ways that the fear of the Lord is used throughout Scripture, and it would be a very useful uh, way to spend your time. However, uh, because I only have most of you for about four years, some of you less, set face. Um, But some of you, I I only get for a couple years, but many of you, thankfully, you freshmen, I get four years with you. Um, Very excited about that, but I can't spend 12 weeks talking about the fear of the Lord. I I really have this desire to get through as much Bible as I can with you guys in the four years that I have you, so that when you go out into the world, you are well equipped with the Word of God, and that And my desire is that the word of God is dwelling in you richly. Um, But the word itself is really interesting because uh, as you translate it, it's literally just fear. 
So it, it, in some sense, the word c- carries a connotation of genuine fear. Genuine fear. But the, it's not only that. It also carries connotations of awe and wonder and reverence. And so I think about it like this. If you've ever read the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series, there's a, scene in, um, there's a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Susan is having a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they're talking about Aslan, the king, okay? And, and uh, so they find out uh, that Aslan is a lion, okay? And Susan says, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And I love Mrs. Beaver's response. She says, that you will, dearie, if there is anyone who can come before Aslan without their knees knocking together, then they are either braver than most or just silly. And Mr. Beaver, his response to these questions is this. He says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And similarly, we have to have a right fear of the Lord if we desire to possess biblical wisdom. And we talked about the two elements of the fear of the Lord that we are bringing into that I want you guys to have in your minds is recognizing God for who he is. God almighty. God all-powerful. The God who created all things simply by speaking the God who upholds the entire universe and gives it being and existence at every moment. And if he should decide at any moment that the universe that you and I inhabit, if he should decide that it would no longer exist, then he would just go and we would all be gone. This is the amazing infinite power of the holy God who created all things. And so we should tremble at his Power. We should tremble at his glory. But this is the amazing thing, and this is the other side of the fear of the Lord, is that that same God, if you are a Christian, is also your father. That same God who is so fearsome also orders your life with fatherly care. And so we have to have that type of a perspective of God if we're going to have a right fear of the Lord. It's not the kind of fear that uh, runs away because he is so fearsome. It's the, kind of, it's the kind of fear that recognizes that this God is, he is fearsome, but he's also your father. He's also the God who desires to have a relationship with you and loves you more than you can possibly imagine. It is the fact that he is so fearsome that makes his friendship so amazing. C.S. Lewis, when trying to describe the fear of the Lord in uh, another book, he said this. He said, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, 
you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And so the fear of the Lord is recognizing, according to C.S. Lewis, that, that God is in every respect immeasurably superior and more powerful than you. And that he is also your father. And see, the sad thing is that in our day and age, people like to think of God very differently. They want to think of God as this big, nice guy in the sky that you can just do whatever you want and live life however you want, and God will love you anyways, and, and uh, you don't have to repent of your sins. You can, you can you know, choose how you live. You see, what they really want is they want a God who has the disposition of Barney the Purple Dinosaur, Okay, that's what they really want. It's like, hey, everybody. Like, that's, that's the kind of God that they want. But that is not who God is. Our God, the Bible describes him metaphorically as a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire fire. We know the God and have a relationship with the God who even the angels in his presence have to cover their faces and they cry out, holy, holy, holy in the presence of his glory. Even the angels tremble in God's presence. And yet, so often in our daily lives, and even when we come to church, we don't have a right fear of the Lord. We don't tremble at his power. We don't tremble at his sovereignty. And we are not often not in awe of his loving kindness, not in awe of his faithfulness. So my question for you as you're thinking about this concept of the fear of the Lord, do you see in yourself a right fear of the Lord? Do you see God as God, as he's revealed in scripture, the holy, righteous, infinitely powerful and sovereign creator of all things and see him as your father? Because what Solomon says here is he says, if you want to be a person who possesses biblical wisdom, then you have to have a right fear of the Lord. You have to see God as he really is. And you have to be in a right relationship with him, namely as his child. Ray, I'll say one more thing about the fear of the Lord. Ray Ortland said this about, about the fear of the Lord. He said that wise people that is people who possess biblical wisdom, humbly revere God and lovingly live to please him. Truly wise people, people who possess biblical wisdom, humbly revere God. They are in awe of God and they lovingly live their lives to please him. So this is the spiritual component, okay? And then we're gonna, we're gonna try and blast through these last two real quick. The biblical, uh, biblical wisdom has an intellectual component and it also has a moral component. Look at verses uh, two and three for just a minute there, okay? So it says, to know wisdom 
and instruction, okay? Those two words are important. To understand words of insight, okay? So think, when you hear the word intellectual, think thoughts. So wisdom is something that comes, that is part of the thought life. Instruction, something that pertains to the thought life. Understanding, something that pertains to the thought life. If you look down at verse 7, the word wisdom and inst- the words wisdom and instruction are used there, okay? So Solomon, in, throughout this passage, places a really strong emphasis on the thought life. That is, the way that we view the world. And what's actually really interesting is the, the word uh, for instruction that's used three different times in, uh, in um, this passage. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek word paideia. Now, paideia, is, it's an educational term. So we think instruction, we think intellectual, okay? And so what Solomon is getting at here is... Possessing biblical wisdom impacts the way that you think. Possessing biblical wisdom impacts the way that you think and the way that you view the world. People who are wise, according to God, see the world differently than those who are foolish, those who do not possess the wisdom that God offers. And so what's really interesting, though, is you actually see these, these two things. Um, well, each the three of them, the foundation having the spiritual component of biblical wisdom leads to a new way of seeing the world, changes your intellectual life, your thought life, and that actually leads to a change in your behavior. That is your moral life. And that's the third one, is you actually see that not only is there a change in the, uh, in the intellectual life, in your thought life, but the, that change in your perspective actually leads to a change in your actions. So we see that the wisdom that comes from the word of God changes us holistically. It, our relationship with God is different, and the way that we view God's world and the relationships with people in that world is completely different because of what God has said in his word. Look with me just for a moment at verse 3, where he says, Receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Righteousness, justice, and equity. These are moral categories. These are terms that we generally associate with some sort of moral values. And we, what we should notice, though, is that righteousness, justice, and equity are the fruit of a life, who, of a life that has been transformed by God of a life that possesses biblical wisdom. Having a right fear of the Lord, letting that change the way that you think, leads to a change in the way that you live. And the source of the change is ultimately God and his wisdom. You see that in verse 3, instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So this source of the change of thoughts and the change in uh, what you would consider to be 
moral comes from interaction with the wisdom, a.k.a. the word of God. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 6 for just a minute. Chapter 2, verse 6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. That's important. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. One of the phrases that Jesus uses to describe the word of God is he says, the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if you want to be biblically wise, if you want to have biblical wisdom, to have your thought life transformed, leading to a transformation in your actions, your life must be informed by the wisdom of the word of God. And the application of this in the moral area is so crucial for us in our day and age, especially for you guys, because I am guessing that you guys probably hear these words like justice, equity, Righteousness. You guys hear these things in the culture in which you live, but there's a problem with the culture's view of righteousness, justice, and equity. And the problem is, is that the culture doesn't have their views of what righteousness, justice, and equity, it doesn't have their definitions of those things tied to any sort of meaningful ultimate standard of truth. These, these concepts of justice, righteousness, and equity in our culture are kind of free-floating, untethered to anything eternally uh, true. And so, really, the definitions can change, and you actually see this because people have different definitions of these words depending on who you talk to. And so you actually need the wisdom of the word of God if you're actually going to understand what is righteousness, what is justice, and what is equity. And so what we see here through this passage is that a right fear of the Lord, being in right relationship with him and having a right perspective of who he is, leads to a transformation in the way that you see the world and the way that you see God and your relationship to him. And that transformation leads to another transformation in the choices that you make, namely the moral choices that you make. And all of this ties back to God and his word and coming to him as the ultimate standard of what is wise and what is true. So in, as we've looked through this whole section and as we have um, you know, been thinking about biblical wisdom, we've seen in this passage that the foundation of biblical wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we noted that the fear of the Lord is something uh, that contains two parts, namely a right relationship with God and a right perspective of God. But one of the things that I want us to do as we are finishing up is I want us to take a minute and to recognize that we are seeking wisdom, which means that we don't have it. I'm going to say something that might hurt your feelings here, but 
You make foolish decisions all the time. I make foolish decisions all the time. We put on display with our foolish decisions our own sin, weakness, and failure. And because of that reality, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is, as 1 Corinthians says, the wisdom of God, came into this world and lived wisely. That is, he lived true justice, true righteousness, true equity. He lived these things because he knew that you and I would be foolish. He knew that you and I would choose the foolishness of sin rather than the wisdom of a righteous life. And so Jesus, at every point in his life, always lived wisely always lived in accordance with the wisdom of God's word. But not only that, Jesus also came and died on a cross, bearing the penalty for our foolishness. So that, having our sin taken care of, we can now have a relationship with God And we can now begin to receive the wisdom of God because Jesus, through his perfect sinless life and his substitutionary death, has removed sin from our lives. He's removed that which uh, inhibits our relationship with God. And now we can come to God as our Father and ask him to help us become more wise. It's an amazing, amazing gift that we have been given in Christ. Um, So let's go into our groups. I'll pray for us real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump in.